Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, welcome to another episode of American Potential. You know, the U.S. Custom and Border Protection Agency started back in 1904 when mounted watchmen of the U.S. Immigration Service would patrol the border for illegal crossings. But you know, at the time, patrolling the border wasn't always possible because of funding. And then in 1924, due to prohibition and the Immigration Acts of 1921 and 1924, which limited how many immigrants could enter the United States, Congress passed the Labor Appropriations Act of 1924, which established the Border Patrol. Now, over the decades, the agency has grown in numbers, and as advancements in technology are made, such as drones and artificial intelligence, the Border Patrol has adapted, but still uses a tried and true resource to patrol some of the most rugged terrain of the border, which is by horse. Every day, Americans see the disaster, which has been created by the Biden administration at the border. When I recently met with U.S. Border Patrol, they spoke about three things that they needed to control the border. They said infrastructure, technology, and personnel. And that with those, it is possible to control the U.S. border. I'd add one more thing that active Border Patrol agents can't say, political will. If America and this administration had the political will to control our borders, the men and women of the U.S. Border Patrol could do so with infrastructure, technology, and personnel. Well, today's guest is former U.S. Border Patrol Chief Yuma Sector Chris Klim, who worked for the Border Patrol for 27 and a half years. And he recently spoke to a group from all around the country that Americans for Prosperity Foundation took to Yuma to let them see for themselves what the border is like. Chris, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Well, good morning. Thanks for having me and uh, doing great. Uh, what a great introduction and so much to talk about and uh, so many things you, you hit on that uh, that is impacting every American uh, in, in this country uh, every day since uh, since administration has been in, in, in place. Yeah. Now, I understand you, you, you were born in New Orleans, right? Is that right? That's correct. Born in New Orleans and as a small child, uh, my dad uh, transferred. He was in, in engineering and construction, uh, transferred to Houston, Texas. And uh, the family, there was uh, five kids and mom and dad. So the seven of us moved to Houston, Texas. And that's pretty much where I grew up, went to high school, uh, eventually found my way back to college uh, north of Houston and, and graduated and joined the Border Patrol. Now, it says here you were a bouncer when you were in college, huh? <laughs> well, so there's a story behind that. Uh <laughs> Which is kind of neat, right? That I was like a bouncer keeping people out that were causing problems, and that's kind of what I did in, the, in my professional career. I, I went off to uh, I went off to college initially um, at, uh, to Southwestern Louisiana University of Southwestern Louisiana, which is now University of Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. I went there to play football. I had a had a walk on opportunity there, and um, and uh, that quickly turned into whoa! I bit off more than I could chew. Uh, they they moved me from uh, from an inside linebacker to a fullback. Neither position I'd ever played before, um, and it was on the scout team, and ended up damaging up my ankle during a practice, and I, I just realized, you know what, the, I, I'm not gonna 
contribute much to this team. I, I've got a year of rehab. Um, but I did like what most of the football players were doing in the offseason or when they were no longer playing football. They got a job as a bouncer. And uh, and so, so yes, that's kind of what I did uh, for, for about a year or so. And then uh, my parents looked at me and said, hey, uh, what are you going to do? And, uh, and I said, I need to come home and and, uh, and, and regroup and went back to uh, to college. I went to Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, where I, I got my bachelor's degree, where it's where I met my wife. And we've been married over 27 years and uh, got my master's there. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, Bearcat fan there. <laughs> Great. That's great. Now, when when you say you are the chief, explain to folks who aren't familiar with the Border Patrol what that yeah. means, what the sectors are, that sort of yeah. thing. Great, great question. And, and thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity. Uh, so the U.S. Border Patrol uh, belongs to Customs and Border Protection, uh, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. So uh, top down, you have uh, we're members of the executive branch. So you have the department, which is run by a secretary. Uh, in this case, it's Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And then the parent agency is Customs and Border Protection, which has an acting commissioner right now, Troy Miller. And then the U.S. Border Patrol, which has a national chief in Washington, D.C. And then we have 20 sectors, 20 sectors across the nation that cover uh, various geographic locations. Um, there's nine on the southwest border, eight on the northern border and three coastal sectors. Um, and, and in that chain of command, each sector has stations. Each station is run by a patrol agent in charge. But ultimately, each sector is commanded by a chief patrol agent um, who has a staff of a deputy chief and several division chiefs, just depending on the size of the sector. Um, my background, I mean, I came in as a trainee in 1995, a GS5, Lordsburg, New Mexico. I actually had more people in my high school in Houston than the whole county did in, in New Mexico. So it was a little bit of a of a culture shock for uh, for a city boy, if you will, to come out to the desert. But you know, I, I fell in love with this job. I moved up the ranks, hit every every rung in the ladder, uh, went uh, uh, went into the senior executive service. Uh, uh, several of our chiefs are what they consider SES uh, executives. And um, I was fortunate to become the deputy chief of El Paso as a senior executive and then uh, ultimately promoted to chief in, uh, in Yuma. And so, again, nine southwest border sectors, each one of them have a geographic location. Um, and uh, we're responsible for the command control, all operations um, in, in our in our respective sectors. So tell us a little bit. I mean, we've got a mess at the border. And yeah. uh, again, yes. I, I talked about the political will. Um, I, I think you've seen throughout your career the the political will sort of come and go, perhaps on on maybe controlling the border. We can control the border if there is the desire to do that. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, I think what you said was spot on. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, we called it a three-legged stool at one point, the personnel, technology, and infrastructure. The fourth leg, at one point, we called it comprehensive immigration reform. I would say that the laws and the books are, 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 are really well-written and it, they have to be enforced. So I would say that fourth leg of that stool would be policy and that political will. Um, you know, just to kind of take it back in history, remind everybody that will be watching and listening is if you go back to uh, a very famous uh, uh, speech, if you will, I don't know if it was State of the Union, I think it was State of the Union, uh, by President Bill Clinton. He talked about the 1994 crime bill, which put 5,000 police officers on the street. And, and in that speech, he said out of that 5,000 would be border guards, which was border patrol agents. I was hired 
out of that 5,000. Uh, and so when you look at a Democratic president in 1994, 1995, putting law enforcement on the, on the, uh, uh, in the ranks uh, to include Border Patrol agents, talk about what then uh, uh, one of his uh, chairpersons with immigration was Barbara Jordan said, hey, we've got we've to control the border and control uh, illegal immigration. That was, that was in 1994, 1995 uh, era. Um, and ever since then, Every administration started making, you know, progress on the border. We had that political will, especially after 9-11. I mean, that was that just changed the world. And it was it was such a, a humbling experience to be part of the federal agencies that were uh, keeping America safe uh, post 9-11. But people were high fiving us and thanking us for our job. But we were getting the resources. We added more border trains. We added infrastructure. Then President Obama came in and, and continued to build that because there was this, and remember who his vice president was, uh, it was about secure the border, get it under control, and then we would pass immigration reform. Mm -hmm. And it got until the, the 11th hour of his second administration where they started arguing about what the definition of control was. And then the, the president used a lot of executive orders, but he was still enforcing the border. He was still doing everything to secure the border working on removing people that didn't have a right to be here. Obviously, we know what President Trump did. He shut things down uh, as, uh, as uh, things heated up. And, I mean, let's just call it what it is. On, on Inauguration Day, President Biden signed uh, several executive orders, and it pretty much put everything um, uh, at a halt. All the progress that we had made at securing the border, one of the most secure borders, that we had at least in my in my tenure that time would have been 25 years um was just put on hold and and i mean it was a it was a it was a gut punch it wasn't a sucker punch because we anticipated it it was a gut punch because right. we couldn't believe that somebody would just just do that to us uh understanding the, the politics involved and you know campaign agendas and things like that but boy i tell you what there was a lot of a lot of people that went and and, and did a lot of good work um set up the administration with the transition team to say, hey, if you do this, this will happen. We recommend you do this. And it was just, you know, nope, this is what we're going to do. Everything's shut down, no deportations, no more construction. And, you know, I, I, I'll take a break here, but uh, I'll give you some numbers that were just, you know, that's not opinion. It's just fact. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I understand and I want to get to, you know, the esprit de corps, I guess, in the Border yeah. Patrol yeah. And, and how folks are feeling. I mean, you can only be uh, whipped so many times. And I use that yeah. word, uh, yeah. you know, well, we can talk about that too. <laughs> yeah. But, um, one thing that really, I went on two trips, I went to McAllen, Texas. Yeah. And then I came to Yuma, Arizona, two very right. different sectors. I will say, I yep. was really struck by the difference there. But one of the things I learned about this, which I didn't know before I went on either of these trips is that there are fewer border patrol agents in the United States of America then there are police officers in New York City. The NYPD is actually a bigger force than all of the Border Patrol agents across the entire United States. Is that right? That's correct. I think there's about 40,000 sworn law enforcement in New York City, and uh, we are under 20,000 uh, across the 22,000 miles of the southern border, 3,000 miles of the northern border, and you know the 1,000-plus miles of, of the Coastal Area Patrol. So it's when you, when you put that in perspective, uh, it, it kind of is crazy. Um, when I was in Yuma, uh, I had 126 miles of border that was in my area, one of the smaller sectors in regards to uh, some of the, uh, the, the you know, linear miles. 
Uh, it's 12 in California, 114 in Arizona. Um, but I, I was the second smallest in personnel. And and yet we were catching uh, the, the last year and a half I was there, more people than I actually had on the books, you know, wow. that were deployable uh, agents, right? I had agents in, uh, in, in the academy and things like that, but we were catching 850, 900 a day at times, sometimes over a thousand a day for weeks at a time. And on record, I didn't even have that many employees uh, at some point. So, I mean, when you when you look at that, it, 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 it's crazy to think that. And to your point about uh, down there in McAllen, right? That's another, you know, it's one of the problems with uh, with uh, inside the Beltway in Washington. Uh, all the, 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 the good idea fairies up there. And I think everything <laughs> is going to, is a cookie cutter approach. Well, if we do it in McAllen, it's going to work in Yuma. Right. And we all learn that, right? As we go up in leaders and take on different responsibilities, we we draw on what we know, and then we try to apply it, and then we have to adjust as we go. Um, but they've got so many bends in the river down there in McAllen, you can't you can't build certain wall structures there. Technology can't see as far as it can in Yuma, so you're going to need more of the the, the people. You're going to need more agents there because it's a it's a more challenged environment or some technology in a different uh, uh, format. Where in Yuma, you know, we can get away with hey, more infrastructure and access roads and make sure our vehicles are up to speed so we can respond. Again, that's why you have sector chiefs. That's why you have executive leadership in the field to put forth the requirements. And and, and it's headquarters job to make it happen. But ultimately, if uh, if the boss at DHS says not going to happen or the White House tells him not going to happen, yeah. here's what we have. Let, let me ask, I asked about esprit de corps or, you know, how, yeah. how agents feel today as, as opposed to, say, five years ago or four years ago. What is the feeling? It, it would seem that retention of officers, recruitment of new Border Patrol agents it has got to be a real challenge. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll address a couple things here, um, not just for uh, Border Patrol, but law enforcement as a profession. I mean, we took a hit. Uh, during all the Antifa and right. uh, BLM riots, I mean, all the defund the police movements by elected officials at the city level, state level, and, and federal level. Um, you know, who would want to be in law enforcement nowadays if everything you're going to be done, uh, you do, is going to be second guessed or recorded and then tried by uh, by mainstream media? So uh, everybody's taken a hit. Um, but with the border patrol specifically over the last few years, I mean, we 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 sense some some frustration on, on morale. Um, under uh, under President Obama, when there was a lot of hey, well, if they're here illegally and they were here before this date, you can't do anything with them. And it's like, well, they're still traveling through here, or they're involved. And so we we had to work through that. And then uh, and then we had uh, you know President Trump, and I mean he he put us in a limelight, which was great, but it was also very uncomfortable because it, it you know we have to pay the piper now, if you will. Uh, we had a lot of uh, a lot of publicity. We were hero status. The President of the United States was looking up to us and thanking us for what we're doing, keeping America safe. I mean, everything that we signed up for, we finally had an administration that, you know, had our back and was supporting that. And so morale was at an all-time high. And to uh, to be a, a a senior leader in that administration uh, uh, during that time, it was great. I mean, we had our work cut out for us, and there were so many changes in policies that uh, sometimes we found out through official channels, sometimes we found out on Twitter. But, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was a great time to be a border patrol agent. Uh, when we had challenges, we had we knew we had the back of the administration. Now you you, you go to and we build wall building our requirements, the things that we needed. It was all playing out. 
And um, then I'll tell you that uh, when uh, when President Biden came on office, I mean, we anticipated, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we anticipated some challenges, but it was it was a lot tougher than we had imagined. We never thought in a million years that things that were bought and paid for would be put on hold. Um, that uh, border patrol agents, in, in 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 many cases, America would be put uh, put on the back burner to focus on some progressive uh, 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 immigration agendas, and you know. You you saw it on on some of the uh, uh, the uh, tours uh, in, in Yuma with stacks and stacks of steel. Yeah, you know, wide open. You know, so imagine patrolling the border, seeing hundreds, and, and this is no joke, hundreds of people turning themselves in in these huge gaps when you had stacks and stacks of steel that could be used to close that gap, and we were told no, we're not going to close that gap. It took me eighteen months to finally get uh, get uh, signatory on 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 some gap closures. So that. That was really tough on morale and the esprit de corps, which was something that we've always had. Uh, border patrols are, you know, uh, we, we don't like the spotlight. We just want to go out there and do our job. Uh, we're going to do what we're told to do uh, uh, within, as long as it's legal and uh, and lawful and not unethical. Um, so uh, that was a challenge as a leader to to know that policy was not coming to back us up, but to still try to get agents, you know, motivated to do their job when people were turning themselves and only to be released. And so I took on a lot of different efforts, uh, brought in some guest speakers. I, I, uh, I have some connections, uh, still working with, with some groups, uh, some former NFL uh, players, um, because I could go to a, a shift. I could go to a muster. I could go out to the field and I could, I could tell the agents all those good things. Right. But they kind of, at the same time, they're real. They're like, well, chief, you're, we expect you to say that chief. Yeah. But when you bring in a Hall of Fame football player or uh, like Brian Urlacher or Nick Lowry, who's a you know all time uh, uh, score for the Chiefs, Randy Grimes, some other folks that are from the area to come down and almost say the same thing, say, hey, you're heroes. We got your back. I mean, the smiles, the eyes lit up like, <laughs> hey, there's people out there that care about us. And so yeah. that that's we had to start taking on cha- a, a different approach to, to take care of our agents and. One last thing, and 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 I'll let you, you know, I'll let you ask me another question. Um, is uh, you know, the the mental health impact of n- not being able to do what you're sworn, you know, sworn oath to do, uh, led to a rise in suicides. Mm. Uh, I think last year, uh, border patrol agents, not just CBP officers, and uh, but boy, I think we had a, uh, I think twelve suicides in uh, in 2022, which is like unheard of for us. And, and we had one of them in Yuma. And uh, and that's kind of where I was like, oh, we got to do something different. If I can't change policy, I can't, you know, enforce the the law any better than, than uh, we can right now. Uh, I'm going to invest in the people a little bit more. And so that's where we brought in, you know, some el- uh, extra, you know, um, healthcare uh, clinicians and making sure our peer support and chaplains were all on board. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know what, you know, suicide is so hard to explain. Um, this is such still a great job in a great country. And uh, and so I know that there's probably some a, a lot of stories or a lot of a lot of issues. We won't ever find out what, what led to some of those deaths. Um, but I can tell you that uh, if you're happy at work, then, you know, that means you're pretty happy at life. And and uh, and so when uh, when we had all these suicides, it, it was really tough. And, it, and and there's no getting over that. Right. Especially right. as a chief, when it happens on your watch and people that everybody knows and love and, and, and it was tough. Right. So um, I, I can't say, and nor will I say it's a hundred percent this administration's fault, but when you add frustration, when you have the president of the United States call out 
agents on horseback in Del Rio and say we're going to punish them and for doing it when it was a lie. I mean, he that right. that did not happen. He knew that, or he chose not to ignore that. I mean, that's unheard of. And so that I mean, that happened a thousand miles away from me. My stomach turned going. I can't yeah. believe the president of the United States just did that. But yeah. yeah, so it's tough, right? But here's how we do it. You know, we, we kind of get out of that when we we start having folks like yourself and, and your listeners and and uh, AFP come down there and 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 learn and, and get informed because people start seeing, hey, there's more to this agency. There's more to this problem, and it's not being ignored. And I think that's uh, that's critical to climb out of this uh, this dark hole we've been in when it comes down to morale. Yeah, there it, it's a tragedy all around. And I, I, I as you're talking about some of the suicides that that have happened, I think about that and the impact of, you know, I'm sure. Uh, these border patrol agents are they're trying to do their job but boy they see tragedy every single day the thing that i was really struck by and that i w- when i saw it i didn't really know this before i came down but you know it's just this uh it's such a mess it's a government created mess you know we've got a government telling folks that they can they can come that if they come they'll they'll be allowed in and i I want to talk about what happens to someone when they're apprehended so that because right. I don't think the American people understand that right now, what's happening. But right. even beyond that, I think as as folks are told to do this, you've got women and children traveling months at a time, you know, half a year up to get there and some of the unspeakable horrors that they're going through. And this is the problem with this policy right now is it is putting mm-hmm. women and children and, and men as well, but is putting people in danger to prove a political point. Talk about that. And and I'm sure these agents are seeing that. They're humans. They they have care and compassion for these uh, folks just like any of us would. Yeah, uh, well, great point. And, and I, I'd love to explain a little bit of that. And, and, and what I want to make sure is it went right, right where your badge goes, it's right over your heart, right? And so when they, every day when they take that uniform off, there's a heart there. And, and and every day when they go to work right behind that badge is a heart. And so there are some of the most caring, compassionate people I've ever met and ever worked with. Uh, sometimes I, you know, I'm just kind of just amazed that, that I was an agent uh, and, and got uh, chosen to, to be a leader uh, amongst those great men and women, because um, I don't have stats, but I can tell you that uh, aside from our Department of Defense, um, I would think Border Patrol probably is the largest humanitarian and rescue organization uh, in the federal government, uh, because what we do, I mean, thousands of rescues and, 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 and both both migrants and citizens, you know, rural areas that we work, right? We, you know, there's catastrophic car accidents on these interstates, these rural highways, hikers getting lost. It's it's the Border Patrol that is responding and saving these lives. And then then, as you talked about, the uh, the, the migrants that get themselves put in danger and harm's way because they're exploited and lied to by the smugglers. So kind of resetting that the response is for for an administration that wants to call this a humanitarian effort is probably the most inhumane way of doing things is allowing people to be exported and and put them their lives at risk both financially physically emotionally uh by making this uh, illegal journey or the journey itself is i guess legal depending on which route they're coming but once they hit the u.s border and entering illegal i mean they they are creating this uh this pull factor by not being very clear that there is one way and only one way into the United States, and that's through the lawful channels as per law. Uh, apply, wait in line, 
and and come in if if you're if you're uh, given the opportunity. But when when they tell you, oh, we'll just apply online with this app, or we're going to let so many people in, and uh, and regardless if you come in illegally or not, you know, we're going to end up letting you go. And I mean, it it is just complete rhetoric that is exploited by um, by the smugglers um, and people from all around the world. I mean, a hundred. Now, heck, Yuma, I had 116 countries my last year. I think nationwide, it was close to over 140 different countries in the United States. And so people are traveling from all over the world to get here. And uh, and some of them, I'm telling you, will fly into Mexico City, into Mexicali, California, Baja, California, and then drive right to the border at Yuma and walk across. I mean, not, not I mean, only hitting the ground for about a quarter mile. Mm-hmm. Then you have others like you explained that have, have been working their way up from South America through the Darien Gap, going the old-fashioned way, uh, and those are the ones that are being starved and and and, and raped and assaulted and robbed all along the way. Um, for what? To 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 get to the United States because they say that you can, you can come in, um, and and I'll kind of explain what happens when you're apprehended here in just a second. Yeah, but sure. what, one thing I want people to recognize is that. When uh, when we talked about Title Forty Two, which was the CDC order that went away, and and we we can talk about that, but the the administration uh, has been gaslighting us on so many things. You know, inflation's down. Well, it's still up seven percent. Gas is down. Well, it's still up two dollars. You know, all, groceries, all that. Right. Same thing with the numbers. Right. You know, Yuma's averaging four hundred something a day. Well, when I first took over, it was twenty five to thirty five a day. Wow. So you're still at a thousand, two thousand percent increase. The migrants didn't go away because the administration decided to change some policies. They just stayed on the south side and were letting in 30,000 a month from several countries that would have normally crossed illegally. But all they have to do is have an app, have an app on their phone and attempt to apply. Wow. Whether they get in or not, whether they f- complete the app or not, they are they are let in through uh, through the ports with. I mean, all they have to say is I tried to apply. Um so for, for your audience, uh, you know, uh, kind of go back a little bit. The Border Patrol's focus and main responsibility is to apprehend anything and, and anyone that crosses the border illegally between the ports of entry. And that's, you know, migrants, smugglers, uh, uh, terrorists, drugs, weapons, whatever the situation may be. And we process them. And it, once we're done processing, we have two avenues. We either keep it an administrative case, which is, you know, put them in removal proceedings so they can be deported or have a, a chance for the judge to stay. Or we do a criminal prosecution, which we would turn them over to the, uh, the U.S. Marshals and we prosecute them for a crime. Well, here's the problem with what's going on under this administration as well. The defund ICE. Well, the next the, in an immigration uh, case, the next step once border patrol apprehends you is you turn you over to ice ice is immigration customs enforcement specifically enforcement and removal operations they're the ones that are going to detain them and help uh, process them through their uh, their court case and then ultimately if they're uh, found uh, deportable remove them to their their country well when there's no room at the end when ice has not been funded to uh, handle the daily population of what we're encountering you have to let them go and so Every migrant that the Border Patrol catches uh, has cro- that crosses illegally will be, you know, processed by the uh, by the station or the uh, or the sector that uh, they were apprehended. And in that process, they're going to be medically screened. Usually, they're given a, a, a once over by the agents. 
Uh, if there's nothing wrong with them, they, they take them to the station. They they uh, manage their property. They, they do their biometric, which is their data, their fingerprints, photographs. Um, if they have any medical issues, they'll go to, uh, we got on uh, contract of medical services, but they're given uh, food, they're given snacks, they're fed, and they're usually in our custody uh, uh, no more than 72 hours. Policy, they got to be out by 72 hours. Well, where do they go? Well, if there's no room for ice and they've claimed uh, some kind of fear of return, then they're going to be let go. They're going to be released uh, uh, with uh, some kind of monitoring system, an alternative to detention, an ankle bracelet, given a phone. All this is done by ICE, not Border Patrol. Um, and rather than putting them on the streets to impact the communities, um, we have uh, nonprofits that will uh, will take the uh, migrants uh, off, uh, I hate saying off our hands, but that's rather than put them on the streets, they'll come pick right. them up. And, um, and they facilitate their movement uh, to their next uh, destination. And so for Yuma, we have the Regional Center for Border Health. They'd come pick them up and then uh, they'd help get them their arrangements, usually bust them to uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport and helped them with their plane ticket. A lot of them already had the means to do it. Get them on a, they get on a plane and go wherever they're going because they have 60 days, I think, to check in with ICE. And uh, I think the average hearing is taken two to three years before they see the judge. So what are they going to do for the next two or three years? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I don't think most Americans understand that. I mean, there is really no incentive at all to go through the legal process because if you go through yeah. the legal process right now, it, I mean, you're just not going to get here. Right. So right. that's the immigration reform side of this that we need to right. we need to do as well, because the, the, we definitely need reform in that process right. to make it uh, uh, more fair. But why would anybody go through that when you can literally walk across the border and, and you turn yourself in? They're turning themselves in so that they can just get processed and be on their way. Right. Right. Well, that's exactly it. And, and something we haven't talked about yet is how the cartels. Um, you know, control everything that comes to the border. Um, uh, and, and so the smuggling organizations, which are, you know, the, the retail outlets of the smuggling, the, uh, the corporation that is the cartel, um, will arrange for who and what and when and where they cross. And um, and so they're, they're paying money anywhere from five to $15,000 a head uh, in, in most cases uh, 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 to come across and get to their destination. The smugglers don't even have to cross the border anymore because everything's done online with phones and apps and prearranged and fake sponsors. Um, and, and that's the, that's the big problem, right? When, so when you have, you have 20, 30 border trades covering, uh, covering a shift, uh, covering 100 miles, and you have two or 300 people show up in a course of two hours, those resources get pulled to uh, manage the, the, the people flow. Well, what does that do? That, that creates a vulnerability and that, lets, that allows the the cartels to let the really bad actors come through, whether it's the narcotic smugglers, the criminal aliens, the gang members, or, or potential terrorists. You know, this is where the gotaways come in. This is where, you know, this is what's troubling to the U.S. because uh, high-value targets could come in that way. Um, you know, we don't know, right, when we, when we don't catch them. because, But we do know that uh, that they have used the age-old deflection uh, uh, technique for, for as long as I can remember. And that's where technology comes into play. That's where policy of saying you cannot just come in and turn yourself in and expect that you're going to get relief into the United States. I mean, what is happening? And I always like to try to tell stories or make a metaphor, but it's kind of like breaking into a bank to rob it. And then when you get caught saying, well, I was going to apply for the loan. Well, and that's kind of what's happening. Right. They're, they're knowingly and willingly breaking the law. They're getting caught. 
And then the government is filling out their loan application form. Right. And then in a couple of years, you'll find out if you get to stay uh, or or get your money. And in this case, they're kind of getting their money because that they get they get multiple bites at this apple. Right. So to your point, there's no incentive to not cross illegally, um, because if you've got two or three years before you have your your face to face hearing with the judge, you could have two or three kids, U.S. U.S. citizens now. Right. If you stayed out of trouble besides your illegal entry and you get a, uh, a, a, a bleeding heart immigration judge says, look, I've been here. I brought my family. We, my village is not even there anymore in Guatemala or wherever they're from. I've got two U.S. citizen kids. I've got a job. Yeah, they're probably not going to get removed. So um, where's the incentive not to do this? If, if you if you can pack up all your personal belongings, knowing you have two to four years before you even have a have to even uh, uh, pony up or ante up for your uh, for your hearings and stuff. It's worth that risk. Right. But if you could have an immediate turnaround, 30 days, I, I would just say this. I don't know if I would risk coming across or, or doing this illegal journey, uh, barring a real asylum persecution situation. I wouldn't risk my life savings, my life or my family's life to come over here for 30, 60 days if that was my opportunity. Four years. It may be worth it, right? A lot can happen in four years. And so sure. uh, so there's no incentive uh, to, to not come illegally. And we already know that there's been at least 2 million released probably since this administration started, plus the known gotaways and the already backlog. So we look at four or five million cases already in the queue. You're never going to see that. Well, it's and, nuts. And the impact that that has on people who are trying to get here legally, who are trying to go through the process. And those are certainly the people we want to immigrate to the United States, right? Are the people who are going to go through the, uh, you know, uh, believe in the rule of law, go through the process. They're never going to get here because our system is being overrun right now. That's exactly right. I mean, what, that's who you would hang around with, right? Right. Good people. Yeah. Uh, someone that's willing to get in line and do the right thing and apply in advance and 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 take that you know the right steps. Um, and I do think that because they have uh, they have damaged this system so badly um, that uh, the ones that are are doing the right things and and trying to make it here the right way are only just going to be you know thrown into this. Uh, this group of pending, you know, applications, and uh, now I don't know what the status is on those that are already here that I need to renew. I mean, I'm sure that's probably a little bit quicker process, but the first timers I, I know are going to get caught in the back of the line. Um, and, and just, I just think about this: is where in this country can you just go from the back of the line in the front and go right in? I mean, I, no, I mean. You couldn't do that at McDonald's. You couldn't do that at Starbucks. You couldn't do that for Taylor Swift tickets. I mean, you right. know, people would people would lob your head off if you thought you could get in front of their yeah. latte. But but it's okay to to get in front of the line and just dismiss yeah. everything that we've stood for for hundreds of years. The rule of law. Yeah, I, I get it. People like to say, "Hey, we're a nation of immigrants." We are. We're also a nation of Americans, right. and we're a nation of laws and. To make all that work, you have to play by the rules. You don't have to like the rules, but you have to play by. I don't like the speed limit. I'd yeah. rather drive faster. Right. But you know what? I'm going to get a ticket yeah. if I if I break the law. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's such a great analogy. I mean, if you're in a store and somebody just decides, I'm not standing in this line, and they go to the front and try and cut, every person in that line gets very agitated, which leads yeah. to, I mean, in the, in the analogy here, it leads to 
people having a bad feeling about immigrants and immigrants should be, I mean, they've made America, right? That That yes. is what's made America great. And, and the system we have now is kind of causing more people to distrust. And that's a bad thing for our system. So we have to, we have to fix this system. Let me ask you, we've got just a little bit of time left. I wanted to yeah. uh, also ask you about that side of it, because we've talked about the, the border patrol and the border control yeah. side of it. But what can what should Congress maybe do to fix the system and fix the problem with a comprehensive immigration reform that's going to uh, put some, uh, you know, some teeth into the law, but also allow for people to legally come to the United States? You know, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things they can do. Um and but I would start with uh, you start with the first you got you got to plug the you got to fill the the, the the stop the leak right right so you have to start with a I would say a standalone border security bill I mean immediately say look we're going to finish what we started you know um, for you for the audience you know we talk about the wall and, and President Trump talk build the wall and we still hear that building the wall was the campaign slogan uh, what what was behind that was a wall system and for us you know as as agents we we put forth our requirements. We needed the the wall is there to uh, was designed the actual steel wall was there to, uh, to uh, uh, impede and deny entry or control and contain entry. The rest of it was the technology piece, the sensor packages, the uh, the infrastructure for roads to access certain areas of the border, lights, cameras, and and additional border agents. Uh, that was all part of the system that was stopped under President Biden, and they're slowly trickling some things forward with life and safety uh, wall gap closures and and starting to plug in some lights that uh, that uh, had really sat there uh, uh, for two years not being uh, effective uh, so we we have to do that right we need to we need to fit we need to stop giving border trades buckets to bail the water out we need to stop the leak right we need to fill the leak and that's through the infra the personnel infrastructure technology. What Congress can do is codify some of the policies like the uh, third uh, party asylum rule. In other words, if you want to come over here and ultimately claim credible fear or asylum, you're supposed to seek asylum in the first country. Right. And so the asylum uh, uh, cooperative agreement, the prompt asylum uh, claim review, the remain in Mexico program, uh, which was, by the way, the migrant protection protocol, um, all those things were working. All those things shut down uh, this border crisis from 2000, in 2020, especially. Um, and let me just back that by numbers, because I, I want to make sure people hear this, because uh, they can draw their own conclusions. But this is fact. In fiscal year 2020, Yuma sector had just over 8,800 arrests. All right. Um, the year before, in 19, there was about 68,000 arrests. And most of those were in the first six months of the year until the migrant protection protocol was put in place, till the uh, 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 asylum cooperative agreement was put in place, to the prompt asylum claim review, consequences for illegally entering the United States. So that just dropped those numbers. So again, uh, 68,019, 8,800 arrests uh, approximately in fiscal year 20. Fiscal year 21, Yuma sector, under President Biden, 114,000 arrests. Wow. Fiscal year 22, 310,000 arrests. So what when it, what happened? New administration got rid of the old policies, the you know, the borders, 
the border is not open, you know, mindset. Uh, it's not open, but, you know, you can still come in and, and, uh, and, and be released. So those policies, and I've said this, while they were clunky on execution because there was a lot of start and stop and, and, and different lawsuits put against us and this, they were highly effective. Mexico, Mexico was a cooperative partner in this because they created their National Guard. They saw the humanitarian side of it. That would be something that I would love to see Congress get back to is, is codify some of those policies, make sure that the detention and removal process is fully funded. Let's detain these folks uh, to make sure they get uh, uh, their proper hearing, but let's do it in a, in a much more quicker way so they so that we can be very clear. You either get to stay or you don't. You don't, you don't have this, you know, uh, this two or three year wait period. Um, we hold Mexico accountable uh, through our Department of State and the diplomats that work with them because we know we fund so many of their programs. Um, we, we support lawmakers that are going to call the cartel out and, and see that ex, uh, existential threat. I mean, that's a real threat. That, right. I mean, they're, they're already embedded in the United States. They're controlling things and, and it's hurting the Mexican people uh, because that culture and the people there are truly wonderful people. But uh, what's what what's happening through the the explosion, exploitation of people um, uh, it needs to be stopped. And so Congress can fix that by funding and and codifying some of these policies into law. Um, but it, you mentioned it in the opening part, the political will's got to be there, and we have to be honest with us uh, 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 with the folks as well. What about the ones that are already here? Now we don't want to say we're gonna round people up and, 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 and have, you know, the Gestapo techniques of, 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 of Hitler's Germany. But, uh, but we do have to have a consequence. You don't get to the free pass if, you, if you've been uh, ordered removed. We've got to come up with that plan over the next few years. If there's two to three to four to five plus million people that don't belong here, how are we going to account for them? Because if we just blanketly let them stay, we're just creating the next wave of the future. So we have to have a a little bit of political will to answer that uh, that problem. And finally, on that question, how does Congress fix it? They they get to the border. They get to the communities. Uh, all politics is local. It is the mayor. It is the sheriff. It is the administrators of the county. Um, I, I know you all visited with uh, with uh, school uh, 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 leadership, hospital leadership, the uh, the food banks, the the the. The shelters, I mean, all every one of those entities in that little town like Yuma is 110% impacted by mass illegal immigration. And those those entities are there to, to take care of their own citizenry. They're there and funded to take care of, you know, uh, their local problems, not the federal government's problem because they're federal acts. So Congress gets down there and has hearings. They, they do border trips and learn and meet people hear what's really happening you you, you get some common sense uh, solutions uh, out of that and uh because look a border problem today is your backyard problem tomorrow I, i've been saying this and, and and i know some some of my former colleagues border security is national security and it's going to impact everybody and i feel sorry for some of these uh these people that are impacted by uh failed leadership in some other major cities who are now complaining about the border when uh they weren't uh, they weren't saying a thing about it when uh when it wasn't in their backyard. Now that's in their backyard, they're screaming and hollering. But look, I mean, the, the, all the blame goes there at the at the White House because uh, it's they're the ones that direct these policies, and they could fix it, and and they could they could ease a lot of pain for people not only here in the country but around the world. Yeah, well, so true, uh, Chief. Thank you so much for 
taking the time and and uh, first of all for hosting the group down in in uh, in Arizona. You were awesome. You you went on the bus ride the whole way. Kind of were <laughs> were giving us the narrative. So so really appreciate that. But also just thank you so much for taking the time and telling the story. But most importantly for your great service to our country and and your continued service, obviously to the men and women of uh, of, of the Border Patrol. So so thank you for all of that. Well, you got it. And I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Uh, look, anybody that wants to, uh, you know, inform themselves, educate themselves and they're willing to listen. I think that's uh, that's my obligation uh, as a citizen. It's uh, an obligation to further advance uh, the mission of the men and women of the Border Patrol is to tell the truth. And anybody that was willing to listen, um, even if we disagree on, on, on topics, that's OK. I, 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 I bet we find more uh, common ground than we have uh uh, um, a division if you'd sit there and just listen to what's really going on. And uh, and I think that's why those visits uh, by the group here um, uh, was was so, so beneficial because it, it opens eyes and you're not just getting one side of the story depending on what major news network you may be watching. Or, um, But I think there's a lot more common ground on taking care of people. Um, uh, and, and, and so, uh, you know, let's, let's secure the border and let's figure out uh, – uh, a smoother way to deal with uh, uh, migration, and uh, most important, let's protect uh, our communities, and that's uh, that's that's what's critical. And I think we can find common ground in all those areas. All right. Well, listen. Thank you, Chief. Appreciate your time and your effort, and thank you for listening uh, to another episode of American Potential. Send me an email, Jeff at AmericanPotential.com, if you'd like to tell us your story or learn more about the program. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.